Bibles, open them to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30. That's where we'll be this morning uh, taking a little break for Mother's Day from our uh, series through the whole Bible. Um, And I pray this will be a very timely and needed word from the Lord, not just for mothers, but for everyone uh, who is here with us this morning. So uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, I know I need to hear this word this morning. I know many more whom you have prepared it for do as well. Lord, we can be so restless when you are right there, your son Jesus holding out his hands, his arms, and saying, bring me your burdens, bring me your worries, bring me your anxieties. I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Lord, I pray that we would find miraculous rest in you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am not a mom. I don't know why you're laughing. I have never been a mom. I won't pretend to be a mom. But there have been a few occasions where my wife wanted me to pretend like I was a mom. She would leave me at home. I know this sounds terrifying to some of you. Leave me at home with a couple of toddlers and go run errands for like three hours. And let me tell you, in these moments, I probably checked my watch about 10 times, wondering when she was gonna come home to relieve me. Those three hours feel like an eternity to me. I don't know if any of you husbands, fathers can amen that this morning. But I determined somewhere along that way of one of those times where I was home with the toddlers that I have the utmost respect for the vocation that is mothering. To just imagine what it's like being on call 24-7 with kids attached to you that you cannot get away from. It's hard for many of us to even imagine. To all you moms who are here this morning, maybe you can identify with a few of these feelings. Have any of you here ever been so sleep-deprived, so energy depleted that you don't feel like you have it in you to give the attention that your kids need? But then you feel guilty for not giving your kids enough attention. How many of you have ever felt underappreciated or even rejected 
in your attempts to love and to provide a nurturing home for your family. Sometimes wondering if you're the only one who cares about cleanliness, order, discipline. Someone here in this congregation actually posted this on Facebook the other who, Facebook the other day. Who knew that the hardest thing about being an adult, and I think she meant a mom, is knowing what to cook for dinner for the rest of your life. Anybody ever felt that stress being a mother? But then there are other more weighty types of restlessness that I think mothers often experience. I think everyone here would agree that at some point they have tried to compare themselves to other moms and then become discouraged because it made you feel like you just couldn't measure up. Again, these are applications for all of us, right? Maybe not comparing ourselves to moms, but to someone else. Stay-at-home moms envying the more visible successes of the career moms. Career moms envying the stay-at-home moms and all the attention they're able to give their children. Moms with piles of laundry and other messes cluttering their homes, watching HGTV and envying, idolizing other moms who have those pristine homes that don't look like they're ever touched by any monster. But then you have the HGTV moms with pristine homes, but yet they have lonely hearts wishing that they had a few more oxen in the pen to make a few more messes and to give their love to. But then, of course, there is the restlessness as well of shame or regret. The regret for things that I didn't do with my kids, for the times I lost my temper after those many sleepless nights, for words that I said or words that I didn't say enough, for giving far too much law when I should have given far more grace. If any of these resonate with you this morning, these are opportunities for restlessness that I think seem to abound, especially for mothers. And still, that's to say nothing of some who are here who may be restless to be a mother or may be restless because they've never had that opportunity. So this morning, I figured that the best gift that I could offer to all mothers here, which is the best that I could ever offer anyone on any day of the week, is to simply direct all of us to the Lord of rest. The Lord of rest. Who better to go to when we are exhausted or restless or anxious or just barely holding on than to go to the author, the Lord of rest himself. All of us, whether mothers or not, all of us need miraculous rest. And by miraculous, I simply mean that type of lasting rest, that type of enduring rest that you cannot get from a nap or from a holiday or from a long vacation. See, you could have the ideal, restful, no working, no cleaning, leave me alone, no meal planning Mother's Day today. But the reality remains that another manic Monday is still lurking around the corner. You could go on a long vacation, and yet you would still have to come back to all of the same burdens and exhausting routines. 
You could even retire from your day job and your kids are grown and have long left the home and you would still be restless from all of the insecurities and worries of this world. There are a lot of restless empty nesters with millions of dollars in their bank accounts right now. They need something more than those conventional means of rest. Therefore, we can conclude if any enduring, if any permanent rest is going to come to us, and this is the rest that all of us really desire, right? It is going to have to come from somewhere else. It will need to be a miracle. And I believe that in this very brief passage, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, just 51 words, I believe that if you will take Jesus at his word, that you will actually come to yourself and yoke yourself to him, then you will come to find rest in places you never thought possible. And so what I want to do as we move through the words of Christ here this morning is just ask three questions of the text. Number one, who is this man who makes such an audacious invitation? Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Who is this man? Number two, who is invited into this rest? Who has he invited to take part in this miraculous rest? And finally, number three, what is it specifically that he is inviting us to do? What is it that he's inviting us to do in order to experience the rest that he has for us? So let's take that first question. Who is this man inviting us into his rest? Well, the most simple way to put it is that he is the Lord of rest. In fact, this is what he calls himself if you look down at chapter 12, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Sabbath simply means rest. The Son of Man is the Lord of rest. I think of what an audacious statement that has to be, or that would have been to somebody hearing it for the first time. For somebody to come up to you and say, come to me and I will give rest for your souls. I will give you eternal rest. Most of you here know that I was a nuclear submariner. I've shared stories like that uh, before, but one of the things that it, a milestone that every nuclear submarine officer has to go through in order to become a fully qualified engineer is they have to go to Washington, D.C., to the headquarters of naval reactors, and they have to prove themselves, that they prove to the engineers that they know enough about the propulsion plant to be able to adequately supervise it. So you go before these geniuses, these 90-pound brains, and they ask you all kinds of technical questions about the propulsion plant. Well, a friend of mine tells the story of, of his particular interview where he was asked to draw on a whiteboard and explain how one particular valve in the reactor compartment operated. And so he thought, well, I, I've you know, been in this department for three years. I know exactly how the system works. I got an easy one. I'm going to draw it and I'm going to begin explaining. So he went about it and the engineer would interject and say, are you, are you sure? That's, are you sure that you got that right? Are you sure you drew that in the right place? Are you sure that's the way? And the guy was completely confident. Yes, I know that's how it works. I've, I've drawn this a million times. I've studied it. And then finally, 
I think the engineer had had just about enough and he said, I designed that. That's not how it works. Silence. The guy had nothing else to say at that point. I designed it. I think I know how it works. Jesus has the authority to say, I am the architect of rest. I understand how it works. Augustine said, I think I've quoted this probably five times already from here, but Augustine said, our hearts are, you have made us, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus is the designer, the architect of rest. He established it in creation. Then he reestablished a path for us to experience rest again when he entered into the chaos of a restless humanity. When he put away the chaos of our sin at Calvary. When he emerged from the chaos of death to restore to us a pathway of eternal rest in God to all who would come to him. You see, not only is Jesus qualified in terms of his authority as the Lord of rest, but he wants you to understand this morning that he is also supremely qualified by the nature of his character. What do I mean by that? What does Jesus say in this passage? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for... This is what I'm like. You need to understand what I like, what I'm like. I am gentle and lowly in heart. All the things that he could have said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. If you've ever been at a job interview and somebody asks you that silly question, tell me some of your strengths and then tell me some of your weaknesses. I don't know how many people are going to answer that question. Well, I'm really lowly. I'm really gentle. Those aren't the types of things that win us jobs at interviews, yet this is the heart of Christ. If you want to know the heart of Christ, I am gentle and lowly. Have you ever had a, a friend or a mentor who always seemed to care far more about how you were doing or what you were doing than they cared to talk about themselves? Or have you ever had a friend who, who, who seemed to be able to enter into your experience and to listen with such empathy as if they had gone through every experience themselves and they were able to just set you at ease? To give rest to your soul and after, after a good talking out, you felt like, okay, maybe life is bearable again. Jesus is this times infinity. Jesus is the competent counselor and advocate who you can come to at all times because he is gentle and lowly. He has experienced the lowest lows of mankind, and he's able to empathize with us in every single way. In all of the words of Jesus, in all 89 chapters of the Gospels, there is only this one place where Jesus tells us about his heart. And by heart, what I mean is what is at the very core of his being. And he says, I am gentle and lowly. What does this say about our Lord? What does this tell us about this Jesus? 
He's not some distant deity. He's not some intellectual elitist who can't be bothered with our dull minds and our unpolished prayers. My wife has told me several times about this thing called mom brain, where she feels like she's not able to have an adult conversation because she's been talking to kids all day. He's not looking for polished prayers or being perfectly put together. He's not some untouchable celebrity or politician who is surrounded by his security detail and we dare not approach him. Neither is he the conception of Jesus that I think we sometimes have, which is the arms folded Jesus, who is simply waiting for our confession so that he can say, I told you so. Now come get your punishment. That's not who he says he is. Instead, his heart is ever bent toward ministering toward those who are weak. Ministering to those who are fearful. Ministering to those who are tired, overwhelmed, or overcome by sin. And not only is his heart bent toward these type of people, but his joy is actually perfected through this ministry. His glory and his grace shine brighter and brighter as sinners and saints cry out to him in their time of need. Dane Ortland gives us this really helpful illustration in a book that I would commend all of you to read called Gentle and Lowly, um, talking about this heart of Christ. Gives us this helpful illustration of the orientation of Christ's heart toward us. And he imagines this compassionate doctor who has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe that has been afflicted with a contagious disease. And so this doctor has all of his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem. He has the antibiotics They've been prepared, they're made completely available. He's independently wealthy, so he doesn't have any need of any financial compensation. But as he begins to tell people that he has this cure and as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They don't wanna to come to him. They wanna take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms until finally a few brave men decide to step forward to receive the care that is being freely provided to them. Now tell me, what does the doctor feel in this moment? Does he not feel joy? His joy increases to the degree that the sick are coming to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came in the first place. How much more if the diseased are not strangers, but are a part of his own family. So it is with us, and so with Christ, he says. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death, and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. That's the heart of Christ. In Hebrews, it says, for chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, one who knows everything we're going through, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is Jesus. He is the Lord of rest. And he is gentle and he is lowly and his joy increases as we come to him in our time of need. Secondly, the second question to ask then is, who is it that he is inviting to experience this rest? Who's invited into the rest that only Christ can give? All who will come, everyone who is heavy laden, everyone who is weary, everyone who labors, everyone who is weighed down with burdens that they can't carry themselves. The emphasis here is on everyone without distinction. He makes this invitation to us today without distinction. Now, if you notice just a a few passages above, notice who it is that cannot receive the rest. There is one type of person who will not, who cannot receive this rest, and it's simply the person who does not see the need. In the passage just above this, Jesus does not mince words for those who would refuse him altogether. He says, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for those who have rejected me. Remember, this is gentle and lowly and loving, merciful and gracious Jesus. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for those who have rejected me. How could someone so gentle and humble and loving say such a terrifying thing? Well, if you were that doctor who had the cure for that contagious disease that was plaguing the tribe in the jungle, how loving would it be to say, it's okay. If you don't come to me, I'm sure you will find the cure on your own. Of course not. No, he says, if you don't come to me, you will never find the rest that you're looking for. So come, 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 everyone who labors, everyone who is heavy laden, and I will give rest to your souls. The scriptures tell us as well, John chapter 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, "Come," and let the one who has who let the one who hears say, "Come," and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The invitation is and always has been, "Whosoever will come." And specifically here, the invitation is to those who labor and are heavily laden, heavy laden. That term there, laboring or or being weary, as some translations say, is, is the type of working where you have completely worked yourself to the point of exhaustion. To the point that I'm sure many of you mothers out there have felt 
on numerous occasions, working yourself to the point of exhaustion where you don't feel like you could take another step. Now think about the people that we see in the Gospels that Jesus is offering this rest to. Is it not the ones who are completely worn out? Is it not the ones for whom life has proved most difficult? Is it not the downtrodden, the defeated, the disgraced, the disenfranchised from the world? Now the heavy burdens that Jesus is talking about here specifically refer most directly to the burden of man-made laws being placed, being heaped on the shoulders of the Jewish people. Man-made laws that the religious elite were placing on other people as a means of finding their acceptance and finding their approval. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 that the scribes and Pharisees would tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, yet they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And you may be thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not a part of this Jewish law-keeping system today, but I can tell you that you may very well be weary this morning for very similar reasons. You may be placing burdens on yourself, or you may be working for approval that God has already provided for you in Christ. You may be trying to fulfill responsibilities right now that only God has. So ask yourself this morning, am I looking for validation or am I looking for approval in any of these things? The way that I am perceived by other people. How well behaved my kids have been this past week, this past month, this past year. How many home-cooked meals have I prepared for my family? How highly is my career esteemed by the rest of the world? How much money I'm earning from work? Now, if you just put Jesus up against a lot of these qualifications, he fails at so many of them. Jesus fails at so many of them. Esteemed by the world? No, I don't think so. How much money was in his bank account? No, I don't think so. How esteemed his career was? No, I don't think so. And yet we would try to measure ourselves up against these standards? Or how about these? If anyone here feels like a failure because of ways that they've fallen short as a parent in the past, or because of a sense of incompetence at something that everyone else around me seems to be better at. Or maybe because I still struggle with bad habits that I simply cannot seem to break. Friends, Jesus does not come to us asking us to first fix ourselves before we can enter his rest. He's not asking you to come back when you're a little more put together. I know you have to put makeup on to come to church, but Jesus does not require you to put any makeup on to come before him. No, he delights to receive you exactly where you are. He delights, hear me saying this, he delights to receive you in the thick of the mess. Because when you are at your weakest point, guess what? 
he is strong. His strength is perfected in your weakness. It is more glory to Christ. Christ is exalted in ministering to weak people like you and me. I know there's a phrase that's becoming more and more popular, especially in counseling communities, and it's this phrase, I I like it. It's this phrase, it's okay to not be okay. You ever heard that? And, and I would say this should be a church where you can feel like it is okay to not be okay. We don't need to be putting on any faces here because all of us come needy to Christ and we're only here because of what he's done in our lives. And I like that saying, as long as we understand that Jesus died for the not okay. It's okay to not it's okay to be not okay if you understand Jesus came to die for the not okay. And that Jesus lives and has an active ministry right now in heaven where he is interceding on behalf of sinners who are coming to him for help. Interceding on behalf of everyone who feels not okay. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7, 25. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. So moms and everyone else who are here this morning, I can assure you that there will likely be a moment. I can assure you that there will be a moment this week Maybe even today when you are not okay. Not only are you not at your best, but you simply feel like you couldn't do anything worse. Reject the schemes of the evil one to keep you restless. Reject the schemes of the evil one to keep you restless. Satan would love nothing more than to belittle the grace-abounding ministry of Christ. Satan lives to keep broken sinners broke and self-righteous saints feeling self-sufficient. Why? Because it's less glory for Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. So when you feel the evil one pulling you towards those thoughts, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough, I don't deserve to approach the throne of grace, tell Satan where to stick it. And then run into the arms of Jesus and find your rest there. Finally, number three, what is it that he is specifically inviting us to do? So he says to come to me, I will give you rest. What is it specifically that he is inviting us to do? I mean, what exactly are we saying when we make an abstraction like come to Jesus? I know from the pulpit that might sound really nice, but then you get outside the church and you say, he said, come to Jesus, but what does that even mean? Well, thankfully, our Lord helps us here when he tells us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Two steps. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The first thing he tells us to do is to yoke ourselves to him. 
What do I mean by yoking? A lot of us probably think we know what this means, but then we start to think about it. I'm not quite sure. But if you can just picture the, the two oxen side by side, and there's this big, heavy wooden beam that's attached to both of their necks so that when they're pulling the plow, you get double the work output than if you just had one. So you're just attached with this big, heavy wooden beam to this other oxen who could be pulling you wherever he wants to go. Jesus is saying, stop being yoked to whatever system you have set up. Stop being yoked to whatever system people are telling you you need to buy into. Take that off, which is repentance. Turn from that way of life. Come to me and yoke yourself to me. In other words, just be in the place where I am and let me lead you wherever I go. This, this term was actually used, this term of yoking yourself to another person was used in the Jewish culture during this time to describe the relationship between a teacher and his pupil. Yoke yourself to this instructor and let him pull you along with him like a mentor. The problem was the, the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to tie their disciples up to a burdensome system of approval. It was a form of law without love. It was all rules and no relationship. It was work without worship. And our natural inclination is to carry burdens similarly and to yoke ourselves to standards of approval that are more than we could ever bear, that are just setting ourselves up for failure. We can so easily pour our identity into our jobs or the tangible results of our parenting or the cleanliness of our homes or whatever it is. We are legalists by nature. The old man in us, the flesh, is a legalist by nature. We don't want to disappoint others, and we don't want to feel like a disappointment ourselves. And all of us feel a need to be approved. And I know I personally can amen this 100% in my own life. I often set up these legalist systems in my mind to find approval. But what our Lord, the Lord of rest, is saying here is don't yoke yourself to a system of working to measure up. Yoke yourself to me and simply go wherever I lead you. My life, let that be your life. My righteousness is now applied to you. It is your righteousness. My approval before God is your approval before God. Your approval before God is the fact that I am living in you right now, not all the great things you have done or all of the horrible ways you've messed up. And that's why he says, my yoke is easy. It's pleasant to bear. My burden is light. Because when you follow me in this way, when you serve me in this way, all of the work you are doing is not to find approval, but is simply out of gratitude and worship for the one who saves you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is the same root word for the word disciple in the Great Commission. To be a disciple is to be a learner. And I would say that the, the happiest Christians that I have ever met 
The happiest Christians I know are the ones who seem to have an insatiable appetite to learn. And I don't mean simply book learning. I don't mean purely as an academic pursuit, but those who have an insatiable appetite to learn with an aim to more fully experience and follow Christ, to learn from his ways, to follow him in his ways. So the invitation of Jesus here and the invitation of Jesus to all of us this morning is to take whatever yoke is weighing you down and is pulling you in other directions and is making you go go and go and go and work and work and work in ways you will never be able to sustain. Take that yoke off you and let yourself be yoked to Jesus. Let him lead you and carry you along to paths of rest. Really, it's an invitation to find rest even as we are working. An invitation to find rest even when those piles of laundry are on your couch or on your floor. An invitation to rest in who you are even when somebody especially gifted is, is especially gifted at something that you're not. To find rest in the chaos of toddler messes and teenage trials. To find rest when your mind starts to go to those dark places of shame and guilt. Knowing that he has taken away all of your shame and all of your guilt at the cross. That he has clothed you with his robes of righteousness. And at this very moment, he is living to make intercession for your weary soul. So mothers, as well as all brothers and sisters who are here this morning, look to Jesus. Come to Jesus in those very moments when you feel most undeserving of his grace, when you are burdened beyond anything else you can bear, either because of shame and regret or because of simple physical exhaustion. Come to Jesus, and he will give you rest for your souls. He will give you miraculous rest.